everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. And today we have our guest, Jordan Ferguson. He's um, on to talk about the intersection between like coding and mops and why mops should get comfortable with learning to read and write basic code. So basically making the case for it. Um, as you know, there's a lot to know in MOPS and um, this space is just, you know, have exploded in the past few years of technology and what we can do with it. Um, but today we're going to focus on why just learning a little bit of basic code or getting comfortable for what, you know, you can do with it can really help propel you in your career. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Um, well, to start, well, Jordan uh, is the Senior Director of Marketing at Coalesce.io. Um, and I wanted to, um, what's even more interesting is just his background of like doing marketing and also being in marketing ops. But to kick it off, Jordan, maybe you could just give us a background of you know, your origin story, how you fell into marketing technology and marketing ops, and um, how you kind of um, you know, also you're with your background just in marketing and also basically marketing a MarTech tool now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really kind of, uh, I think like many marketing operations professionals uh, sort of stumbled into the profession in sort of a um, weird way at, um, you know, earlier in my career and uh, coming out of college, I was really focused on media production and um, photography mm. and um, shooting videos. And a lot of what I was doing was um, promoting that work and uh, building portfolios and websites and got really into uh, WordPress and, oh. um, you know, lead generation and things like that. Um, and how can we market uh, the small businesses that we were operating? And um, I really found that that was sort of my sweet spot. Uh, that's really what I enjoyed doing was um, kind of the intersection of technology and marketing. Um, I've had quite a few different roles um, in different industries. Um, I've been in website management roles. I've, um, you know, been in MOPS roles, product marketing roles. I've led SDR and MOPS teams. Um, so really, yeah, my career has, you know, sort of been focused around the intersection of marketing and technology. And right now at, at coalesce.io, um, we are a data transformation tool specifically for Snowflake. And so, um, we are as the data world and mops world is sort of sort of starting to converge. Um, it's a really exciting time to be in this space, and so I just kind of find myself thinking a lot about um, writing code in the mops profession and kind of where it fits in and where it's going to go in the future. Um, and then uh, sort of what appears to be um, uh, a little bit of a, a skills gap that is is slowly starting mm. to develop in the marketing operations profession as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Definitely. I, well, one thing that's so interesting, you've had so many different hats that you've worn. Um, when you were in school, like you said, like most people have stumbled into MOPS, but when you were like previous to joining the work world, did you like study marketing? Did you, were you studying design? Like what was your background? Yeah. So uh, my education formally is in communications. Um, I think it uh, specifically internet resource creation and management, which at the time was just a fun way to like build websites and work on kind of the intersection of communication and technology. And so 
um, it really uh, sort of sparked this interest inside of me of um, there is, you know, a big gap between um, the quote unquote technical uh, folks in, in a business or an organization and the quote unquote non-technical folks. Um, and so uh, sort of marrying those two together has always been uh, just sort of the, the interest of mine. Cool. Um, the, the most interesting one that stood out to me was the SDR team, which I have also somehow managed in my past as well, but we won't dive too much into that, but that's, <laughs> that's probably one of the hardest ones out of all of those, but, sure. um, all right. So just to kick it off for everyone, um, I know as you've made it clear, you're pretty passionate about, you know, the marketing ops and, and writing code and, you know, why you maybe think that could be a differentiator for MOPS folks to pick up that skill. So, um, you know, can you just give a background of why and what made you like, what made you come to that conclusion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oddly enough, I was scrolling through LinkedIn uh, yesterday and there was a CS2 post that uh, made me laugh about sort of the evolution of MOPS. And like 2010, it was like, hey, send these emails from MailChimp or Marketo or something like that, constant contact. And now it's like, um, you know, 2022 MOPS is like CRM, uh, market automation platform, iPass, data warehouse, BI, you know, <laughs> it's starting to resemble like software engineering, web development, data engineering, IT in many ways. And, yeah. um, and so in some ways, marketing operations is becoming more important in the real estate that we control is getting larger, but there is sort of this skills gap that's starting to develop be sort between sort of what you could almost say is um, like the uh, really technical, deep uh, code writing mobs professionals that more closely resemble developers or engineers. And yeah. then there is a, a also another faction that's incredibly effective at their job using GUIs, WYSIWYG, drag and drop type technology. And uh, there's a little bit of, of a void between those two types of skill sets. And so like, that's a bummer to me. Um, when I talk to colleagues and they say that, you know, they have people on their team that are unwilling to right click open developer tools in the browser because they're not a developer and they don't consider themselves to be. And so um, you can sort of start to put up these guardrails around um, the role. And I think that um, MOPS has really lived in this like low code kind of space and has been really effective in the low code space for a really long time. And so, um, you know, it's really prevalent, even when you see it like implementation docs of like a marketing mm. automation platform, for example, it's like, hey, give this script to your web developer and they'll know what to do with it or reach out to IT with this letter and here's how you might be able to persuade them to update your DNS records. And it feels so helpless, like and, and kind of lacks like contextual understanding or control over the outcome. Like, why are we doing this? And like, why am I having to like persuade people or give them something and blindly hope that they know what my intention uh, or my business need is? And so... I think it's really important to try to span that gap. And so, um, you know, I think the sad truth of a lot of uh, MOPS teams is that they're swimming in technical debt, you know, mm -hmm. unusable data. And we're secretly praying that we don't have to evolve or extend our fragile, you know, stack beyond uh, where it's already at. And so um, we're playing a lot of catch up and it's uh, it's an unfortunate spot to be in. Yeah, it, the 
the interesting thing that you mentioned is, you know, people's unwillingness to maybe want to go deeper into some of like the development or at least just understanding, you know, like you said, like, yeah, we read these implementation docs and then I think there's so many MOPS folks like have probably set up, you know, their email protocols, but can't tell you what they do, where it goes, what a DNS record like even is, you know, things like that. And I think, I think MOPS professionals should try and dive deeper it does remind me a bit of like when I first entered the mop space like 12 years ago, over 12 years ago. And people, a lot of marketers were like, I don't want to be that role like that. Even then it was like, I want to be in demand gen. I don't want to be in mops because mops are like the technical team. And, uh, you know, I want to be coming up with like more creative ideas. And it, it was almost like the people that stayed in it, are like have a blessing now because like we have like great careers and there's a lot of job security it's mm-hmm. very because but the but the unfortunate thing is like the you know we don't have a lot of people who have come up in that space as much as like say demand gen but i think now it just is a sim a symbol of like how far the space has gone where now those same people who were the technical ones really i think it just pushes even further. Like, okay, we, now we need to go deeper. Like we need yeah. to really understand um, and push ourselves to think like what we can do with these technologies instead of just like, like you said, you know, clicking um, <laughs> in the WYSIWYG or low mm-hmm. code and just trying to find like an easy solution, which an easy solution, as we know, is not always the best solution. <laughs> but um I, I think this is good advice too for maybe folks coming up and like maybe they want to go an engineering route or they've been interested in both like marketing, mm-hmm. business, and engineering. Like it seems like a very ripe space for folks to come up now. Could not agree more. Like I really think that um, connecting the two sides, the commercial side of the business with the technical side, having the insight on sort of both sides of the fence is extremely valuable. Like Mm -hmm. there's so much happening right now in the product led growth space or self-service spaces. And that is like such an opportunity for marketing Mm -hmm. operations professionals to generate value. And, um, and it's, I think a really important um, space. It's going to continue to grow over time. Uh, This it's not slowing down. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think, I think thinking about, okay, you know, how, how did we get here or what's like kind of the, um, where are we at? (laughs) So we're ripe with technical debt. Like we see this all the time too, either on the mops like side in a, in a market automation platform or all the different tools that have been like Frankenstacked together, um, or on the Salesforce side, but we have so many different tools that we can use and a lot of them are kind of poorly built together. And a lot, maybe some of that, like you said, could be a lack of like understanding. Some of it is also like lack of time because our teams yes. are really small. Um, but yeah, like how, how do you think we got here? Like, what do you think are some of the things that like have converged together to get us to where we are now? Absolutely. I think you just touched on one that's super important is, um, Mops professionals not having a lot of bandwidth. You know, we're doing a lot of educating internally to make sure that people understand the like level of complexity or 
um, the amount of effort required to do some of these things. And so um, I think it causes kind of two things. It causes a lot of job hopping where people are not mm. happy and they end up jumping to a new role. And then sort of downstream, what does that cause? Quickly, poorly built systems that get abandoned, mm-hmm. right? Someone builds something and then they leave the company. And then somebody new comes along and they inherit that thing. And whether it's poorly documented or maybe it's really well documented, but it's really hard to um, understand the intention, the vision, the direction that they were trying to take that stack. Maybe it's not even done. A lot of times you get half-baked projects and things like that, um, that you have to try to tackle yourself and sort of unwind. And, um, and so there's so many things that are outside of the marketing operations, you know, professionals control, the average individual contributors control. But I do think that there are things that are within our control. And I think one of them is, you know, advocating for ourselves and doing that Mm. internal education and asserting ourselves to let people know how long, how complex, what sort of resources you need, what sort of headcount do you need. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also to take a more technical ownership over these projects and, and the implementations and and not just stopping at the implementation, thinking about how does this scale over time? Um, that's yeah. really, I think, one of the things that I want to talk about today is scalability and how code, re- writing code can really impact the scalability of uh, your work. And, um, you know, as, a, as you start as a small company, you grow or you, you add more MOPS professionals, I think scalability is just like one of the key uh, uh design decisions that, you know, you should focus on whenever you're building. Yeah. I think scalability is key. It's interesting too, that you said, um, like not stopping at the implementation. And I think that's also a symptom of this, like lack of awareness of what it means to like have a, a tool in your stack. I think so many people think, oh, the amount of tools you have in your stack and how sophisticated it is the, the more you can do. And I think people have been burned now like, well, you need resources like those, those need to be supported. You can't just like turn something on and be like, okay, it's gonna, <laughs> here we go. It's going to do well. If anything, yeah. it requires, you know, constant attention, upkeep and, and stuff like that. So I think now a lot of folks are moving back to, not like keeping it simple, but really like, and I, I think this is what we're going to talk about today of like, I, it doesn't mean like having complex means scalability. If anything, like simpler, the better, but simple doesn't also mean like dumbed down. So, yes. um, so yeah. Uh, okay. So going, um, deeper, uh, when we're talking about specifically around like writing code for mops, what like exactly do you mean about writing code for mops? Like describe that a little bit more for folks who are listening who are maybe unclear on what that really means. Yeah, absolutely. So for the sake of this discussion, and I think, you know, in mops uh, profession in general, I like to think about code as any sort of text that has a functional purpose rather than just displaying a static text value, right? I mean, this could be as simple as a token, or a merge tag, you know, going back yeah. in time a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> you're not writing a static value there. You're putting um, a dynamic token or tag that will be displayed, uh, display a different value depending on the user. And so, um, you know, it can be as simple as that, or it can be as far as complex as like, 
writing custom Apex for Salesforce in an IDE and yuck. Like, thankfully, we're doing <laughs> far less custom Apex these days, uh, thanks to things like Salesforce Flow and some other tools. Um, but the point is, like, there's so many entry points to writing code in the MarTech stack. You know, you don't have to spin up your own development environment to um, and start with Python or Apex or, you know, some really robust project. Like, there's places to stuff little snippets of code all over in the marketing operations uh you know, profession. And so start small and go from there. Yeah, definitely. And I think for, for folks who are interested in this too, and we'll go, we'll talk about like resources, but or, or different like use cases and, and, and you shouldn't feel like it's all something that you're going to do alone. I think first is like understanding like what can be done and doing that research yourself and like even maybe getting examples of what some cool things people are doing. We'll talk about like some of those resources, but starting there, because I think even for folks who maybe are like, oh, I don't want to like be, that's not for me. I'm trying to focus on being more strategic on the marketing, Mm -hmm. go to market strategy. But I think it, it still is, there's something to be said about knowing what's possible and like being able to articulate that back to maybe someone on your team who is interested in that a bit more technical and even like supporting them to dive deeper. Yeah. So yes. I think for, for folks who are listening or like maybe at a certain point in their career, we're like, oh, I, I, I feel like maybe this isn't for me. Well, it, it's probably likely that you'll need someone or want someone like with that skill set on your team. So thinking about how you can foster that and understand why it's important. Absolutely. Could not agree more. I think like that partnership and, you know, especially as orgs grow and you do need um, more strategic leaning MOPS leaders, um, you know, that are more focused around resourcing and headcount and articulating those sorts of problems, you know, to leadership. Um, like, uh, I think that that partnership between those types of roles becomes only more important. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. All right. So when we think about like writing code, and this goes back to also caring, but what are some of the other reasons why some folks should care about being able to write code and um, understand it? Yeah. So um, like, as we just said, you know, while it's not for everyone, it can have a significant (laughs) impact on your career growth and on your standing within your organization. Um, I can't tell you how many times when uh, I've raised a hand in a a, um, self-serve or some other meeting where we have cross-department roles from engineering or product um, and we, where an idea is born out of a small comment or question and uh, we start a sidebar and sometimes one plus one can equals, you know, equal three. And so um, there are, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, so, you know, it gives you the opportunity to identify, um, you know, those, those coding of the places where you can write code in your stack. You can do things like creating better attribution or hyper-personalized, you know, experiences, obviously integrating with other systems and, you know, webhooks and APIs are, um, are always there. And, um, lastly, I think it really gives you more context with your interactions with colleagues on the website team, the product and engineering team within your organization. Like, uh, I think it builds camaraderie and momentum around, you know, joint business goals when you all have a little bit of knowledge and a little bit more respect for each other's 
trade and kind of understand why and how you work every day. Um, and so I feel like if you work in SaaS or technology at all, um, understanding technology at a little bit of a deeper level can only benefit, you know, your relationships within the company. Totally. I think that's a good place to start too is, um, and I think you'll talk about a few use cases for the website, but I think like you said, and uh, when I worked in house, I did this at the time too, where I would, I would develop a relationship with our web team because they did have the resources at that time of people who didn't know how to code instead of me tapping into our engineers who were like, really focus on the product. Hard to get those people nailed down. But I'm like, these these people are in um, marketing. Like I can lean on them. Um, but also we're, we're both interested in improving that customer experience. And right. so we, we lent on each other. And I, I would always be really interested. Like, how are you doing this? Asking the questions like, oh, what does that look like? Getting on screen shares and understanding and working with that team. That also can feel like, and they have more similarities to mops than I on the mops team than maybe the other parts of marketing, right? Like mm -hmm. they're a resource to all of marketing. They're dealing with a mix of like creative and user experience and tech, like technical work. And so there's so many parallels that I feel like a mops team, like you should really think about like kind of aligning yourself to maybe the team that manages the like your website or your web development team, because there just are so many similarities and you are going to end up having to work with each other at some point. So having that relationship is really key. I could not agree more. I think, you know, that there is such a big opportunity at every organization. You know, there's, you see some things sometimes like the marketing website being on a different domain from the product itself. And like, <laughs> That is a huge issue and really causes a lot of problems. And when you're trying to do something like a self-serve flow or product-led growth experience, like if you can't pass basic, you know, data back and forth between cookies or things like that, like you're going to have a bad time. Um, it, yeah. It's not going to go well. And, and, um, and so it is, you know, it is a little bit sad going back to what we said about take this script and hand it to your website developer and they'll know <laughs> what to do with it. You know, they'll put it somewhere and, that is actually one of the areas where I want to talk a little bit about today. And I'm going to do a little screen share around particularly something uh, that every team deals with is the form embed. How do you mm -hmm. handle the form embed with a, a web team or marketing operations team? Fortunately, I have been both of those roles before um, at the same time and at separate times. And so I've been able to see um, what is scalable and efficient on sort of both sides of the fence. And I couldn't agree more that the website management team or the web developer team within the marketing uh, you know, unit is so closely and should be working so closely with uh, the marketing operations team, if not um, under the same you know, uh, you know, middle leadership there. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, people always make the case for like rev ops and try and push marketing ops with sales ops and... I've always talked about like there are some cases for rev ops, right? But like sure. I think for me, I, I do think that there's something for marketing ops, staying under marketing. And if anything, no one's saying, hey, web team, you should go be under rev ops. That doesn't happen. Right. But I think that there's more work and similarities to being part of that customer experience that the marketing ops team and the web team has than say like 
a sales ops team and marketing ops, but I'll, we'll talk about that. That'll be another podcast in the future. <laughs> we'll then go into the example. So for those of you who um, are just listening, feel free to find the um, video of this episode, which you can find at csgmarketing.com um, or it'll be in the description um, of the podcast, but, um, Jordan is going to go through an example on a screen share. So for those of you who are listening, you can still listen along, but, um, just if you want to see the video. So yeah, let's kick it off with an example, Jordan. Perfect. All right. So we talked a little bit about the intersection of, um, the marketing, uh, operations team in the website management team. And, um, particularly I think <clears throat> form embeds is an area that comes up a lot and causes, um, a lot of friction and could really be improved uh, really at like every company. And so I wanted to quickly visualize uh, in this blog that I have about um, the form embeds, about how a company typically does this. And so they'll embed a form on their website. And then in Marketo, they'll build a program or a rule that corresponds with that form embed. And it listens for that form ID on that specific page. And once that gets submitted, uh, it will trigger a set of things that will happen, you know, in that program. We'll try to attribute. We'll probably set some status, MQL, some operational flows. Maybe we'll email some people and let them know we got one. Um, and we'll route to the Salesforce owner. Boom, we got one new MQL. And this works well for net new leads coming through. And so, okay, you'll continue building these out. And you'll end up with a bunch of these where you have a handful of different form IDs on your website and a ton of different rules in Marketo, all doing the same thing. Great. Now we're uh, flowing leads, new leads to Salesforce. Um, and then it comes time to update this. Hey, we want to make one change to our entire lead flow. Hey, Jordan, can you add this to um, all of our lead flow programs? Yikes. Like we're in trouble right away because look how much is duplicated across the system. To go into Marketo and to click into these and manage all of this is a mess. Like it was really easy to right click clone and create all of this stuff. But um, I inherited an instance once with over a hundred of these and not tokenized, um, no standard naming convention, like really hard to sort through and actually make any sense of. Um, yeah. And one so thing too, to mention, does that when you for that company, did they also just have like a new form under every program or did they, were they still using just a handful of forms or, cause we see that often too, or folks just like don't have a global form strategy. So on top of it, not only do you have to update your flows, but it, say you want to just add a field to your form. It's like you have hundreds of forms that you need to <laughs> update. Exactly. And that's what happens is you start here with one form and you try to maybe do a global form system where you have one form flowing to a few different rules. But then there comes along these perceived edge cases, things like, mm -hmm. well, after someone fills out this form, I would like them to go to a specific destination URL, say a PDF or, you know, a gated video or something like that. Or, oh, shoot, I actually want to show a different field or I want to um, I want this one to have uh, something slightly, you know, different look. And so you start spinning up all these different forms unnecessarily um, when really global forms and limiting the amount of forms that you have is like paramount to having a scalable and performant marketing automation platform. And so you're exactly right. The first problem starts with 
the amount of forms and rules spinning out of control. And then where we go uh, from there is uh, I knew that most of these form configurations were web page specific, um, that we were listening for a specific URL or specific form on that URL. And so what I did was I just moved all of the configuration to the web page itself. And so we're doing everything like custom submit button language, submit button language, you know, rather than saying register now, we could say get started or start free, all using the same form. We could display custom confirmation messages or send them to a different destination URL. We can do multi-touch attribution with lead source and a lead source detail field. Um, there's custom routing requests that you could uh, tack onto that specific page. Uh, maybe it's gated content. We talked about that, right? PDF or YouTube or something like that. Um, custom scoring. Uh, you could, uh, maybe we want more or less points uh, based on this form compared to others. You know, maybe there's a specific Salesforce campaign member uh, membership that we want to handle via this form. Maybe there's custom conversion events that we want to send to, you know, our A-B testing platform or Google Analytics or, you know, other advertising platforms. Or maybe... We want to ingest our own sort of attribution and conversion data. Maybe we have some cookie data with some UTMs that we'd like to ingest, or maybe there's a parameter in the URL that we'd like to pull down. And so I'm doing all of these things with one form. Yeah, and so incredible. the way that we do that is, is basically hidden fields. Um, mm -hmm. This is, these are all the fields that you would see the user sees. And then, I have a handful of different things like custom routing and the lead source form capture and lead source detail and a couple others. And so this form, this is the same form that we essentially use for everything on, uh, on our website. All of our hand raisers or gated content, or webinar registrations, anything like that. And so the way that we do that is in uh, the script itself. And so this is my script here. Um, and I built this, uh, just quick note, and it's in my blog, you know, and I'll put that in the notes, but um, this is written in a way that it's readable uh, so that it's approachable and it's easy to work with. It could be more performant. It could be faster. You know, I'm sure that there we'll get, we could get some feedback like that. But um, <laughs> generally speaking, what we have here in this script is it starts off and it looks like a normal uh, Marketo form embed script. You know, you have your yeah. Munchkin ID and, and, and a form ID and, you know, maybe your domain there, maybe you, you're smartly set up your C name and all of that properly. And then all of a sudden we have a bunch of stuff that um, we've put in there in this form function. And so uh, these are comments slash slash. So none of this code gets run. And so it's really just descriptive content in my script. And so um, as you can see, this is the configurable area and we don't edit anything above it and we don't edit anything below it. And so whenever I go to deploy a form, these are the only things and you can see equals it's waiting for me to put in a value into each one of these variables. And so while it's not the most visually elegant, it's pretty clear what you're dealing with here. And with a little bit of documentation, it, you know, it really helps to nail it home. And so you can hand this to someone that maybe is not as familiar with uh, writing the writing this type of code. And um, we've also built in some defaults here. So I'll walk you through this really quickly. So 
the way that we control all of those things that we just talked about is um, by setting these variables or not. We can set custom button text, uh, but if we don't, it has a default down here. Submit, right? Same thing for um, custom confirmation message or destination URL or even lead source in detail. We have default values prescribed right down here. So we will, and we're also dynamically grabbing the page URL and the page title. So that's one that people are always, you know, statically writing in the market automation program, you know, in Marketo to say, hey, it was on this page. Great. We're grabbing this automatically. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're trying to, you know, fill as much of this in dynamically as possible, but we configure these uh, inputs and then running through, uh, I've commented out in the, in the functions, like what each part does. And so we have our defaults, we grab some page specific information, and then we check to see if all the variables were set above. And if they're not, then we prepare to use our defaults. And so it will check if we wrote custom button text, then use that. If not, else use the default. And that's what we have uh, set up there. And so um, long story short, this whole function right here just all does the same thing. Checks for if those variables were set. If not, it'll grab the defaults. Then we also have one that's pretty tricky. We talked about the Salesforce campaign ID. So if you put the campaign ID in a query parameter, so you could just put put in a UTM or Salesforce um, SFC ID equals, and you could put that 18 character string for Salesforce campaign ID, boom, it's going to load it into uh, our hidden field, pass that into Marketo. Marketo can dynamically take any ID, it's loaded into a token, and then we'll call that Salesforce campaign. You never have to create another campaign membership rule again. It's all built right in here. Um, so you have one rule to rule them all. Um, and then, yeah, lastly, uh, it stuffs all the values into the hidden fields. These are all the hidden fields that I showed earlier on my form. And then boom, on success, once it's um, submitted, uh, it will either take you to the custom destination URL if you set one, or it will show you the custom confirmation message or the default if you didn't set one. And so we have successfully accounted for almost everything that you would need to do when someone submits a form, right? And so now rather than having all this big mess of individual programs laid out for every form embed, um, and some people are saying that they have up to 7,000 pages and they're doing this like, I don't know how you could possibly manage this or how Marketo, you know, runs at any reasonable yeah. speed with that much in there, right? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. So that's okay. kind of, yeah, what you end up with is one simple program. Uh, sorry, that's my script there. But you end up with one simple program that anytime any form is submitted, we run them through the same conditional check program. And we've already taken care of all the things like custom routing or attribution or scoring or anything related to the customer experience. And so um, in that way, uh, we've significantly reduced the amount of bloat and overhead in our marketing automation platform just by uh, creating a script where we do the configuration 
here. Um, I'll take that one step further for the website folks that might be on the call, again, to sort of kind of build that bridge there. Someone might say, Jordan, but you're still embedding this all over your website. Let's say you do have 7,000 pages and you need this form on all of them. Yikes. Um, if you're using WordPress or if you have a 7,000 page you know, website, there's probably an opportunity to do something like a short code. And so in WordPress, you can load your form into the functions.php file and create a short code to where anytime you're deploying a form in WordPress, it could literally be this simple, Marketo form. Now you have gl a global place to update all of these form embeds. And then you can even do things like pass it those configurable parameters that I showed you in the script that are those hidden fields, you could do the same thing. So we have our defaults would happen here, or if we filled them all in, we could control things like, you know, what's the confirmation message or the submit button text right here. So now if you ever need to edit your embed script across all 7,000 pages, you have one location where that script lives, and then you have these configurables that live on the page themselves. And so just infinitely reduces the amount of clicking and the GUI and the drag and drop. And so really um, the form embed script, I think is sort of the cheat code to uh, scaling your instance. Totally. I, I also like the example, like I especially like the example of like the Salesforce campaign because I think for uh, that becomes a hassle too, just like having to run the flow to add people to campaigns and like when that happens and so forth. Um, but it, you said it, you're uh, using a token to do that. Could you just describe that a little bit more for folks? Because I know that's something that like pretty much every Marketo user, you know, any marketing user is always focused on like, how do we update our campaigns and add people to campaigns? Um, but I think that would be really interesting too. Absolutely. So when we pass that ID, so this is in the same blog that we'll share. Um, when we pass that Salesforce ID, we pass it into a hidden field and we have one single rule. So this is the rule that rules them all. And so it uh, has a trigger for data value changes. It's looking for um, this person becoming, uh, syncing to Salesforce for the first time, because this is a major issue is trying to add someone to a Salesforce campaign too early can cause yep. problems in your lead flow sync, et cetera. And so we look for to double check the first time that you get added to Salesforce or you're already a member or you're already in Salesforce and that value changes. Mm -hmm. So in either of those scenarios, we know, okay, this person's in Salesforce and they have a campaign ID in this field and we should try to add them to that campaign. And mm -hmm. so, what happens from there is I use um, that field as a token in the add to Salesforce campaign flow step. And so whatever Salesforce ID is in there, you can change that. Um, you can set, we could set custom statuses and things like that as well. You could get a little bit trickier with that. If we wanted to do sent versus responded, we can maybe add another indicator in a hidden field. Um, yeah. I haven't really ever had that need yet personally, but um, one thing that I have done that was really cool and I touch on it here is um, 
Uh, track UTM touches in a cookie in an array, up to 20 of them with the timestamp. So you end up with a hidden field that doesn't just have one ID, it has an array of 20 of them. And you can use a tool like Flowboost from Edemos that is essentially adds JavaScript functionality to Marketo. And we loop through all 20 of those IDs and add you to every single one. And so you get mm-hmm. a multi-touch attribution, both from lead source and lead source detail. Um, and we also use a, that never gets overwritten. And then we have a most recent and most recent lead source detail. And that gets overwritten every time. So you always have the first, the last, and then all those traffic driving UTM touches in between, you know, that drove the person to the website. And so all of that can be handled with a tiny bit of code in more dynamic um, Marketo programs. You know, a lot of people are familiar with tokens, but okay, how can we feed data into the tokens even a little bit smarter? Totally. I think these are all good example, all good examples, and we could probably even go. a a bit longer into them. But I think the key thing here is, you know, what maybe looks a bit, I will say scary to some folks, but the way that you've even had it laid out is like you, it follows like, you know, normal writing. You can figure out like, okay, what do I need to update and so forth? But it's readable, right? It's, it's not, yeah. Right. Right. Um, but all that planning, it's not, when you compare it to the amount of work that you're saving in the future is like, you know, it, it's there's your time savings, like just goes up and up and up. And so I think when you talked about scalability and how this can really help with scalability, like for how much processing Marketo has, like how much, how long it takes to make updates. And, and this is where I think a lot of MOPS professionals fall short is like, because they have all that technical debt or because they have all of that time that they would need to do to make changes, they have a case to be like, we can't make that change. Like we just don't have the time. And so then you are stalling just any improvements that you can make on the marketing side. So I, I think that's a really good example to with having this understanding of what can be done and building out a scalable solution, you can actually just do more with your marketing, be more nimble. Absolutely. And, and I think you touch on, you know, like a really good point, like, like, is there, is there simplicity should be key? Is there a limit to this? Like, should we stop at some point? And uh, I think you touched on like the important parts of what we're trying to do here is like, it should be easier to maintain moving forward, right? We've tackled a little bit of complexity. We front loaded, you know, the complexity here, but over time, it's so much easier to manage, you know, we can scale this to 7,000 pages with no problem. And that um, I think is not true if you're building that them out one by one manually, you know, in the GUI and the, the drag and drop. And so um, I think that like, there's a couple of key questions that you could ask yourself to help guide. Is writing code like the answer here? Is this actually helpful or am I just doing a science project, you know, is this just fun, you know? Um, And so I think those questions are like, does this materially improve my data, my customer experience, or actually reduce the amount of time and effort it takes to maintain my stack down the road? Um, If so, okay, let's move on to the next one, you know. Is this code reasonably performant and can it be tested to work 
reliably in uh, all the known scenarios? And if so, like, I think you've got your answer then. Then yeah. maybe writing a little bit of code is the answer to um, keeping it simple. Totally. And this is also where I think, um, like asking these questions, and, and I love that you put like the customer experience because I, I think for a lot of MOPS folks, we've been bogged down with so many competing priorities. And a lot of that has been we were losing sight of like what we're actually there to do. And it's really to create a good customer experience and create alignment back to sales. But from the mo- from forefront is like, we're operationalizing marketing and a lot of what are, what we're marketing. And like you said, he's said the emergence of like PLG and just with the way that people are taking on their own sales cycle, right. your like website, the experience there, what happens afterward is just so important um, that if you can tie this work back to that and make it more effective, like that, that just prioritizes that in itself, I think. Absolutely. Um, totally agree. One thing I wanted to end with is just where can someone learn about writing code in their MarTech stack? And what are some good resources that not only helped you, um, like when you got started or, or that you currently use today? Yeah, definitely. So um, uh, firstly, I want to give a major shout out to Sanford Whiteman. I think probably people are familiar uh, with them, but I I am a big fan. I think, um, you know, this person has written, reviewed and corrected more code than like any other dev in the Marketo space. Um, So uh, always willing to lend a hand. And then uh, Jenna Mulby also has a fantastic blog for Mm -hmm. um, learning how and where you can use code to improve your stack. She has so many good um, examples and little snippets that you can play with. Um, I've got a lot of inspiration from her in the past. Um, Like, oh, I didn't even know that you could do that. Let's go ahead and try to combine these two things together. Mm -hmm. Um, The vendor docs are pretty good too. Marketo's in particular, they provide a good amount of code examples, um, especially around the forms uh, API that we just went through. Um, And then the communities, you know, I think that um, there are a lot of communities out there that are getting stronger. The MoPros community, there's, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Slack communities or LinkedIn groups and things like that that are popping up. And um, and then another one that I wanted to throw out there too was, um, you know, like when you get stuck, you know, where, where do we go from there yeah. internally? Like reach out to your engineering colleagues. Like, um, you know, I've even had some success, like some success with like self-deprecation, you know, like, hey, I'm um, trying this, uh, what should be a really easy thing in JavaScript, and I almost have it, where am I going wrong? You know, and, you know, chatting that stuff at lunch and kind of like water cooler type talk, like it really creates a lot of camaraderie and people are willing to help you learn and share and sort of do, um, like get involved in kind of what you're doing. And so, um, that I think, you know, there's a lot of resources to learn, but the big thing is talk about it, like get it out there, interact with individuals and, um, and, uh, it's harder to do in a silo for sure. Yeah. Have, I think having some, well, well, one mops as a, or just for your career working cross-functionally is great and across the organization too. So it just opens up those avenues. It's really great for your career, like for network as well. So, um, and network 
like for being in these communities, asking questions, you just start to build a network in itself too. So not only are you getting the help that you need, you're building a group of people around you that you can tap in the future, but also it's just like champions for you because they see, yeah. wow, Jordan, you're doing this really cool stuff and you know, you're making, I'm able to help you, but like they just know examples of, oh, this work, Jordan's doing it, you know? And, and mm-hmm. then in the communities, it, if you help someone, they're more help, likely to help you. So building out a network there is really great. I always wish I had all these communities when I first started out in MOPS. Um, and so it's really nice to see those pop up and even get even stronger during the pandemic. So um, totally agree. There's so many resources out there and just taking the time to be part of it and, and don't be afraid to ask for help, especially even from your web team, your web dev team. They they will yes. probably definitely help you. And if you even articulate, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I saw this thing that Jordan did and it was awesome. Like, what do you think? Like, let's look at it together. Like just even starting there, I think is is good. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The form embed one is like a great place to start with your web yeah. team. Like yeah. the intersection there is just like, is huge. Totally. Awesome. Well, this has been so great. We probably could have kept going. We might have to do a, a part two, I feel. Um, but for everyone uh, who's listening, we'll be um, posting the links to the resources that Jordan went through today um, on the podcast. So you can dive deeper into those. And uh, Jordan, if people want to find you, reach out to you, where should they go? Um, yeah, I will throw a link to the blog that I showed in here, but uh, theburnishedpixel.com is my blog. And then, uh, yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a message. Awesome. That sounds great. This has been so great. Um, and for those of you who are listening and you think a colleague or friend would enjoy it, feel free to share this episode. And we'll see you next time on Forward Thinking. Thank you.